Amen. Children's Church, you are dismissed. Kindergarten through second grade, pre-K through second grade. Give the kids a hand as they go. Come on, church. <laughs> Dude, he walks out like this. Yes, right? It's all for you, big guy. Listen, turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter number 22. Genesis in chapter number 22. If you've already turned to your Sunday morning notes, keep going. We're preaching the Sunday night sermon this Sunday morning, okay? And so for those of you that never come to church on Sunday night, this is what we do. Amen? And so we're kind of looking at, uh, I talked to Scott earlier and, and uh, before this, and I told him, man, there's a change of plans. And uh, this morning, I'm excited because I'm going to spend two weeks going, well, through the Bible. Uh, and uh, and uh, I think that you're going to see the brilliance and how amazing God's Word is. Uh, but we're going to begin the Old Testament this morning and do the New Testament next week. Uh, but if you're like me, over the years, I've been involved with some really good churches. I'm talking about as a church member. I can remember, and I've had really amazing Sunday school teachers and Bible teachers that poured into me, uh, whether it was Grace Baptist over on Highway 70 in Jackson, we were there. And uh, Brother Fred used to teach our Sunday school class. Uh, amazing. And whether it's at Liberty Grove years ago when we were church members there, I've had awesome, cool Bible study teachers and Sunday school teachers. I've got Bible degrees. I know you can tell by looking at me. I've got a, a master's of theology. You knew that too. I had a halo when I got up here. And I'm so smart. Someday, if the Lord will let me, I'll be Dr. Kelly. And I'll be so stuck up, I won't even speak to you. Amen. I'm just kidding about that. I don't think I'll live that long to be Dr. Kelly, but we're working on it. But listen, what I'm trying to tell you is I've been edumacated, okay? I've, I've had theology and doctrine poured into my life, uh, whether as a layman or as, uh, as a pastor. And one of the things that, uh, maybe it's my ADD mind, one of the things uh, that I don't really feel like very many ever did a really good job is helping me see the flow and the story from an overview perspective in context. In other words, I never really felt like anybody zoomed out and said, okay, Marcus, this is what's going on. This is the backdrop. This is what's going on here. Because especially as a younger person and even as an adult, many times I would look at scripture like this, right? I'd be like, Adam and Eve, cool story. That was awesome. What's the next story, right? Adam and Eve, Jonah got swallowed by a fish. Cool story. What's that got to do with the bigger picture, right? Oh, Jesus healed a blind man. That's awesome. Right? Jesus went to the cross. All these cool little stories, and almost in our mind, we subdivide them. Story, 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 as if they're not all connected. But the truth is, they are all connected together. So I want to take uh, the bits and pieces and stories, and like I said, maybe you're like me, and you've missed the flow or the context, and I want to kind of get an overview of the entire Old Testament this morning. I mean, we do this in culture Across the board, it doesn't matter if we're looking at history or economics or politics, we tend to kind of zoom in on some details and we really don't have a greater perspective. And so we've done that in the church when it comes to God's Word. And so uh, what I want to look at again this morning is the Old Testament. You know, the Bible's a complex... If you don't think that Scripture is complex, it means you haven't read it. It is. It's complex. It's simple that in all of it's about Christ Jesus. Amen. But some of the stories you dig down deep, you get over in Daniel and you're wanting to know what the third toe on Daniel's right on the statue's right foot is. Sometimes you can get in deep water. 
right? And, and like I said, if you haven't gotten in the deep waters, because you haven't been swimming. But ultimately, all of Scripture points us to Christ. And it's my prayer that his story will be my story, will be your story this morning. So again, we're going to talk about the Old Testament, the entire Old Testament. So I hope you're comfortable, all right? But it's 39 books, 28 authors, over 2,000 years. Think about it, 2,000 years to write the Old Testament. The entire New Testament was written in one generation. One generation. But the Old Testament, it took over 2,000 years for all of it to be completed and to be written. Matter of fact, someone once said this. Look at this next slide. The Old Testament is the New Testament concealed, and the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. Revealed. I like that. It's important to understand the Old Testament. You know, I've met some New Testament believers. They don't even think the Old Testament's worth anything. Like we, we put away the Old Testament. We're done with the Old Testament. Well, that's just not the case. Why is that? On Wednesday nights, we've been studying the temptation of Christ when he was tempted by the devil in the wilderness. And Jesus' response to the devil was, it is written, it is written, it is written. Right? Well, what was written? The Old Testament. He's referring to Old Testament scriptures. When the Apostle Paul in his letters, whether it's the book of Romans or one of his epistles, when he says, doesn't scripture say, doesn't scripture say, what is he referring to? The Old Testament. Matter of fact, I saw a survey. It came out. I can't remember which polling group did this, but they picked one random survey and they polled hundreds of churches, evangelical churches. And what they found was on this one Sunday, nine out of 10 churches only preached out of the New Testament. Nine out of 10, which I get that. I love the New Testament. I'm a New Testament Christian, right? Uh, but we, when we only focus on the New Testament, we're missing out on these other 39 books that God gave us and God gave us for a reason. The Old Testament's inspired and the New Testament is inspired. Now, I don't know about you. Okay, let me give you an illustration when I think about it. You guys like taking pictures? Some of y'all, I'm not going to take your picture. Don't worry. But if you're like me, especially like when phones started being able to take really good pictures, right? Like me and my kids, we can't never go for a hike or a walk or take the dog. I'm like, hey, stop. Let's take a picture. Take a picture. <coughs> my son's like, Ugh. right? And then also like editing on photos. I enjoy, do you like, you take a picture and you can kind of straighten the shadows out or brighten it up a little bit. It makes the picture looks nice. Makes it makes it pop. Makes it look good, right? Uh, when you can edit a photo. Now, a little side note. Now, some of you ladies are going too far. <laughs> some of y'all look like aliens. A human face just doesn't look like what you're presenting on social media. As a matter of fact, some of you use those Snapchat filters so much. When I meet you, I'm surprised you really don't have puppy ears in real life. Amen. <laughs> But I like to edit photos, make, make them look nice. But if you're going to get one good picture, how many do you have to take? A, a bunch, 42, exactly. You have to take a bunch of pictures till you get that one picture, then you edit it, and then you post it, and nobody knows you have acne, right? <laughs> now, I say all that to say this. The, the Old Testament, right, is like, let's look at my pictures right now. Let's see what the preacher's got on his camera. Okay. The Old Testament is like all those photos. The ones that, I'm going so fast, you can't even tell what's there, can you? It's, it's a bunch of selfies up my nose. Uh, but look, the Old Testament is like all those raw photos that are in your photo app on your phone. All the ones that you never shared, that never got edited, where the kids, one kid wasn't smiling, one kid's looking like this. That, that's the Old Testament. Right? The Old Testament is kind of raw, unedited. 
There's some shadows there. You're not sure what's going on, right? The colors aren't, aren't quite what they should be. Maybe even if you look at it, it maybe even seems out of focus. That's the Old Testament, raw, unedited. The New Testament is that selfie that you posted on Instagram, edited, sharp, run through, colors popping, living, vivid color. That's the New Testament. And so what I want to do is kind of remove the shadows from the Old Testament this morning, and let's talk about what it's really talking about. Grab your pen, take some notes, write this down. Number one, what I want you to see, first of all, is that creation deals with the fall of man. We start the Bible, God created everything. God created everything out of nothing. Before God created something, there was nothing, nothing. God created man, God created woman, he created Adam and Eve, and he gave us this thing called a free will. You're not a robot. Anybody feel like a robot today? You're not a robot. God gave you free will, and Adam and Eve had a choice. God said, I've got all these fruit and trees in the garden. You can eat of any one you want. Don't eat off that one. So what did they do? They ate off that one. Why? Because they had a free will. They made a choice. They made a decision and they did what they wanted to do. They sinned before God. They tried to be the rulers of their own life. I still fight that wanting to be the ruler of my own life. I'm in charge. Yet I want you to notice something. Look at this next slide. God always initiates. He initiates. God created Adam and Eve. God created the garden, right? He made man. Man had a choice. Man fell and was evicted from the garden because of sin, because God is holy and perfect and righteous, and we're not. So what did God do? He didn't leave us in a lurch. He just didn't leave us out of the garden. Well, one strike, you're out. What did he do? He showed a, a shadow, a picture. He began revealing something. He slaughtered an animal, shed its blood, and gave that to Adam and Eve. Why? Because when they sinned, Adam and Eve realized something. They realized they were naked. Or West Tennessee, naked. Okay? They realized they were naked. And so God slaughtered an animal, took its uh, carcass, and used it to cover their flesh. And that's a picture of Christ shedding his blood, covering our sin. But here they took the skin of that carcass and clothed Adam and Eve. And men, it's the first example we have of a woman ever going shopping in all of Scripture. I got my carcass from Neiman Marcus. Amen. That's it. It's preacher. All right. So listen, again, a foreshadowing. And then later on, after creation story, you've got all this stuff, the Tower of Babel and all this mess that's happening, wickedness, sin, sin, wickedness. Finally, here comes Noah and the flood, the ark, another picture of Christ in the Old Testament. We're going to talk about those later, but we're going to move on right now. The second thing I want you to see is this, the MVPs, Abraham, write that down, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Right? These are the franchise players. These are the blue chips. These are the very ones that God has decided he is going to bring the Messiah uh, from his chosen people from these guys. God picked Adam, and in turn, he picked Jacob uh, and, and Isaac. Now, they're not perfect. If you read your Bible, these guys are not perfect. They're fallen, and they're fallible, but they were men of faith. Just like you're not perfect. They weren't perfect, but they had faith. Look at what God told Abraham in Genesis 22 and verse 17. He said, blessing, I will bless you. And multiplying, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven and as the sand which is on the seashore. And your descendants shall possess the gate of their enemies. Keep in mind, at this point, Abraham's old, his wife is old, and they don't think there's any chance of having any children. And God is saying, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to multiply you, and I'm going to make you a great nation. 
right? And again, even though Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob messed up in many ways, God used them. And you should be grateful. Look at this next slide. Aren't you grateful that God can use uh, 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 crooked sticks to hit straight licks, right? That God can hit a straight lick with a crooked stick? Because I got news for you. You're a crooked stick, amen? And I am too. That's God's grace and God's mercy. Jacob had a son named Joseph. You want to talk about dysfunction? Jacob had a son named Joseph. He had a bunch of other sons too. But he was, Joseph was obviously his daddy's favorite. Gave him that fancy coat, the coat of many colors. His brothers loved him so much, they sold him into slavery to Egypt. Right? Does your brother and sister love you that much? Right? And so they sold him into slavery. And through an amazing turn of circumstances, Joseph goes from the slave house to the penthouse. He's the number one two guy in all of Egypt. It's incredible. Read your Bible. And it's just amazing how God did that. And then through a chain of events, God's used a famine to drive that family, to drive his brothers into Egypt. And they're in front of Joseph. And Joseph forgives his brothers. And that's another picture of Jesus and how he forgives us. Did those brothers deserve to be forgiven? Nope. Do we deserve to be forgiven? Nope. It's because of Christ, his love, his grace, and his mercy. So Joseph forgives his brothers. He says, hey, there's a famine going on. Go get daddy and them. Move them on up here. I'm going to take care of everybody. So the whole family moves to Egypt, and they stay there a long time. Eventually, Joseph dies. And the, the Israelites are there in Egypt and God is blessing and he's multiplying and the nation is growing by leaps and bounds right there in Egypt to such a point that they became a threat to Egypt. There was too many of them. So what did the Egyptians do? They made them into slaves. They were in bondage in Egypt for 400 years. They were the gross national product of the nation of Israel. And so the Israelites were suffering for 400 years. Now, number three, write this down. Now we have another picture here. Moses. Moses leads Israel to freedom. God calls Moses, and Mo Moses says, I can't do that. God says, I want you to go, and I'm going to use you to deliver my people out of slavery and out of bondage. And Moses goes, well, I stutter, I stammer, I'm not a very good public speaker. I can't do that. And God says, you're going to do it. You can do it. Look at this next slide. God picks unlikely people to do amazing things. He always does. And so long story short, Moses, who's a type, a picture of Christ in the Old Testament, with God's help, gets the people out of slavery. You see the foreshadowing there. And one of the events, what he did was, God sent all these plagues on Egypt, wearing Pharaoh out until finally Pharaoh would listen. The last one happened on the night of what we call the Passover now. Why God said, I am going to strike every firstborn male in all of the land of Egypt, a graveyard dead except those who take the blood of a lamb, a perfect spotless lamb, and they put the blood on their doorposts and all of that. Those homes I will pass over. And when God sent the angel of death, he passed over the Israelites who had taken the blood of the lamb and had put it on their doorposts. And he spared them, but the Egyptians' homes that did not have the blood of the spotless lamb, the firstborn son in those homes, all died. Again, foreshadowing and picturing the blood of Christ. And how it's only through the blood of the lamb that we can be saved. And God saved us that way. Again, Moses, a type, a picture of Christ. And the blood of the lamb, a type, a picture of Christ. So the Israelites are emancipated. God takes them to a place called Mount Sinai. Mount Sinai is where the, the, the old covenant kind of went down. God gave Moses the Ten Commandments. Remember, he had to do it twice. He went down there, and they're already worshiping that golden calf. They're already having their party down there. Moses has been gone just a little while, and they've already turned back to work worshiping false pagan gods. 
So now you have uh, God has to judge them, and it's terrible. And, and you have Israel. They kind of should have been on a vacation, only taking a month or two. But they end up in the wilderness for 40 years. Because of their sin, because of their rebellion, God lets a generation die in the wilderness and does not let them go into the land that he has promised him. Why? Because they weren't obedient. They weren't obedient. Unrepented of sin never leads to the blessings of God. It just doesn't. Never does. Right? So instead of getting from point A to point B pretty quickly like they could have, they wandered around for years and years and years because they weren't obedient. That leads to number four. Write this down. Fourth thing is, finally, we have conquest. The promise that God gave Abraham is going to be fulfilled. A new person takes over, and his name is Joshua. Could you imagine taking over for Moses? Right? And I don't think anybody would have wanted that job. Those Israelites, all they ever did was complain and find something to complain about. Right? I start to say like a Baptist preacher. Okay, listen. Listen. And his name was what? His name is Joshua. Would you be surprised if I told you that Joshua is the Old, uh, the, the Old Testament name for the name of Jesus in the New Testament? So Joshua's what? He's a type. He's a picture for Christ to come in the New Testament. And so we have the conquest. God's going to use Joshua. And Joshua's to take this new Hebrew generation into the promised land, close down this awesome, incredible real estate deal. But God speaks to Joshua and says, listen, I want you to push out. I want you to destroy every ungodly object and ungodly person from this land that I'm going to give you. I'm give, I want you to wipe it out. Everybody's got to go. Everybody has to die. I know that sounds, that sounds pretty stout, right? And, and you've got to do it. This is how you're going to obey me. You got to, you got to purify the land. And why did he say that? These people were wicked. These are some of the most wicked people that have ever lived on the face of the earth. The people that were occupying the promised land. A couple hundred years before this, in scripture, 400 years before this, God told them, if you don't repent, you keep doing what you're doing, and I am going to judge you severely. And then God used the Hebrew people to come in and take the promised land to judge them severely. I mean, they were doing things like child sacrifice like America does now. And they would take those children and pass them through their flames, have a newborn baby and burn it alive as a, a sacrifice to a pagan god. They would in invade their neighboring country and they would literally rip the bodies open and fling the flesh in the air. These are terrible people. And God says, I warned them, judgment, it's time for judgment. Joshua, clean out the land. So Joshua and the, the Israelite people, they go in and they do what God says. Almost. Almost. They almost do what God says. Look at this next slide. Partial obedience is always disobedience. Now, husbands and wives, look at each other right now. And I want you to say to him, I want you to say to her, I'm partially faithful to you. <laughs> How's that going to work, people? So can I get an amen that partial obedience is disobedience? Amen. Yes. Listen, if we won't deal with the sin in our lives, it always comes back and bites us. That's what happened to God's people. They partially obeyed God, so they messed up. And so Joshua, the picture for Christ, is bringing them into the promised land. Number five, write this down. 
So now we hit the time of Judges, and it's this cycle of rebellion. And God would use judges to come in and to speak for him and to judge the people and help lead them. Samson was a judge, and he messed up all big time. Samuel was a prophet and a judge. Gideon was a judge. But what we have is this spin cycle of rebellion. Look at this next slide. Here's what I call a spin cycle of rebellion. You, you, they forget God, they fall, they fail, and they ask for forgiveness. So they, they're forgetting God, they're falling, they're failing, they're asking for forgiveness just over and over and over again. They would forget God and when they fall on their face and they completely fail, they beg God, forgive us, and he would send them another judge and they'd get right for a minute until everything smoothed out. Then they would forget all about God. I mentioned in the first service, many times people will call me and they'll, or text me, hey, Brother Marcus, I want you to pray for us. And let me just make something up. This, you know, the marriage is on the fritz, everything's going south, you know, my, my wife's about to leave me, brother. I need you to pray for us. I need God to intervene, right? Well, I, yeah, I will pray with you, and I'm praying for you. I'm going to keep on praying, and da, da, da. And then everything smooths out. They don't need any more prayer. They don't need church. They don't need the fellowship. And they, their lives seem to indicate they really don't need God all that much. And all of us are like, it's easy to point at somebody else like that. And in the hard times and the difficult times, all of us are like, God! And when everything smooths out, we're like, well, I got this. And that's what the Israelite people were like. They would just completely fall into absolute rebellion after every time God had delivered them over and over again. You know, it had to have been frustrating for the judges that were trying to do it right, trying to get them back, get them to the right thing, get them to worship God, serve God, to repent, and keep their promises. So what did that lead to? Write this down. Now we have kings. They say, we want one. We want one. We want a king. Have you ever seen a child want something just because somebody else had it? Right? Have you ever seen an adult that wants something just because somebody else had it? You're, you're sitting next to one. Amen? It's human nature. It's human nature. If you don't believe me, listen, if you have two children, take them home after lunch and sit them down at the table and, and give one child three cookies and give the other one two. And all of a sudden, everybody's really good at math. You gave him three cookies right? We always want what somebody else wants. Well, they looked around at all the pagan countries and they, all these all the other countries have got kings and we don't have a king and we want a king. Hashtag, we want a king too. Give us a king. And it's, it's amazing and it's miraculous how God moves. He moves mysteriously, but he's kind of funny sometimes. It's almost like, God, we want a king. And God said, I'll give you a king. Remember, we got free will. God did not create us as robots. He says, you want a king? You're going to get a king. Right? I mean, life, free choice, free will. Listen, if you get to the end of your life, God isn't going to slam dunk you to hell. You're going to go because that's where you wanted to go. In that life, he's going to give you more of what you really wanted in this life. You want to reject Christ? You don't want anything to do with God? You don't want to receive the salvation he offers you? In the next life, you ain't going to have any of it. All right, so the people wanted a king, so God gave them a king. Now, who did God give them? You know this story. Saul, right? Saul, man, he's handsome. Woo, good looking. He's got about a million followers on Instagram. Skinny. His six-pack has a six-pack. Head full of hair. Looking good. What was it? What was it Ric Flair used to say? All the, all the women wanted him, and all the men wanted to be him. Saul, he stood head and shoulders above everybody else. The best looking, the strongest. He had everything. Big man. But on the inside, he was a little man. 
Matter of fact, he was so eaten up with envy and jealousy, he spent most of his life trying to kill a little shepherd boy named David. And God chose that shepherd boy to take Saul's place as king because Saul had sinned before God because he's little on the inside and he was big on the outside, but he was tiny on the inside. And God said, you can't be king anymore. I'm going to make David king. And it was cool. And so in the life of David, the little shepherd boy, the picture of Christ in the Old Testament, David goes out there to fight Goliath. And a lot of times we like to put ourselves in that story. Like we're David, right? We're like, all right, yeah. And there's, you know, it's okay to do that, but you're not David. Ultimately, you know, you're not David. You're the brothers. You're the ones out here that wouldn't step out to fight. That's who we are. Jesus is David. You could never go out there and win that fight. You can't beat Goliath. Jesus defeated sin, hell, death, and the grave for you. Because he won the victory, you get to run out there and say, we got him. <laughs> but Jesus does that. Again, David, a picture of Christ in the Old Testament. But then David, he was king and he messed up. He went to a place called Bed, Bath, and Beyond. That's all I got, folks. Come on. <laughs> bed, I thought that was really good. I thought Bed, Bath, and Beyond, that's funny right there. Eventually, David, this picture of Christ, he had a trust fund kid named Solomon. He had other sons and daughters. One of his sons raped his half-sister. Another one of his brothers killed his half-brother. His own son tried to kill him. All this because of the sin of going to bed, bath, and beyond. Read your Bible. And because of that, all this happened in his family. There were consequences. Unrepented of sin always has consequences. And they had consequences for David, even though he repented and confessed his sin to God, a man after God's own heart. And so he finally has this son named Solomon. Solomon's temple. People travel from all over the world just to come see this amazing temple. He asked God for wisdom, the wisest man who ever lived, a great man, a godly man in many ways, but he had one flaw. Do you know what that was? Women, women, he liked them. He liked them all, all shapes, all sizes, all nationalities. He didn't care. He liked them all and he made a mistake. He brought all these pagan women into his house. And allowed them to continue to worship these false pagan gods. And so basically, he reintroduced all these pagan religions that they had once again driven out of the land. He brought it back in by all these girls that he liked so much. Yeah, it was a great sin in his life and a big failure. And wouldn't you know it, a godly man and a pagan woman most of the time end up with pagan kids. That's just the way that it works. That's why the Bible says don't be unequally yoked. This ain't even about, I didn't mean to get into that right? And so king after king after king after king were no good. Uh, there was a good one here or there, but not enough to turn the tide for very long. All these kings were terrible and they were bad. And, and God had to been sitting back and going, that's what you wanted. What did that lead to? Number seven, write this down. Ultimately that led to division. So you had Israel in the north and Judah in the south. The country was split in two, absolutely divided. Look at this next slide. God allows us to choose our choices, but not our consequences. He let them make the choice. You want a king? I'm giving you a king. The result of that is these hundreds of years of just terrible things, and ultimately your country is going to be divided. And what does that lead to? Write this down. Number eight, exile. The prophets speak for God. Now put the prophets here. Now the prophets are speaking before this, and they're speaking after this. But you, we have the prophets here speaking for God. Prophets like Daniel. Daniel. 
Remember Daniel in the lion's den and all the prophecies that he had? Remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? And then there was the fourth one in the fiery furnace with them. Again, a picture of Christ in the Old Testament. Jesus was in there with them. But what happens is exile. So Assyria, this is scary. Assyria comes in and takes out the top 10 tribes of Israel, Israel, and, and takes them out. And we never hear from them again. What happened to them? I don't know. Gone. Basically vanished from the pages of history in many ways. Then the two tribes in the south, the tribes of Judah, they were taken captive by the Babylonians. But then you fast forward, and just like the Bible said, the Bible talked about this Persian king and basically named him and everything that he was going to do. But the Persians come in, and they whooped up on everybody else, the Babylonians, and they took over Israel and, and, and took them captive and all that stuff. And the Persian king allowed them to go back home to Jerusalem to rebuild the city and the wall and all of that, just like the Bible said that he would before it ever even happened. And so that brings us to number nine. Write this down. Return and rebuild. They return to Jerusalem. They rebuild the walls. That's the book of Nehemiah. They reinstitute the worship of God. That's the book of Ezra. And it's amazing. So you have the walls of Jerusalem being rebuilt. The worship of God is being reinstated. The people of God are so centered on the word of God. It's amazing. And then you have everything moving forward to Malachi. And then Malachi comes on the scene and he says, you're still not living for God. You're still sinning. You're still in that spin cycle. Read the book. You can go home today at lunch and read the book of Malachi really quick. It will take just a minute. Last book in the Old Testament. Malachi says, you're under a curse. Now, wait a minute, though. All the way back here in Genesis, 2,000 years ago, we start under a curse. Sin had entered in, and death followed with it. So we're under a curse. Then 2,000 years of, of history and struggle and trying and climbing and dying and repenting and, and all of this. And now we're here at Malachi, and we're still under a curse. Does that even make sense? It's weird. It's like just this lateral move. I mean, yes, in the Old Testament, God was revealing himself more and more. Yes, God was showing his redemptive plan in the garden. We see it mirrored with the, the bondage and being freed, God judging and warning. We see the repentance, the coming back to Jerusalem. We see the walls. We see the worship. And we see Christ all through the Old Testament. But Malachi ends with a curse. And then, number 10, write this down. Nothing. Silence for 400 years. Now, if you look in your Bible, there's probably right in between the New Testament and the Old Testament. You go to the book of Malachi, there's probably a page there. And you just thought there was a page separating the Old Testament and New Testament. There is a page. That page right there is 400 years of God's phone being silent. A blank page. And during this 400 years, I mean, you have the rise of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. First you have the Greeks and then you have the Romans and all of that. That's your Old Testament. That's the context and the concepts of the Old Testament. But I want you to get the content. And I hope that you didn't miss it this morning. Look at this next line. The Old Testament is a hymn book. It's, a, it's his book. It's a hymn book. It's all about him. It's all about Jesus. Because wherever you look, you see Jesus. Wherever you look, if, you're not, if you look at the Old Testament scripture and you don't see Jesus, you're not reading it right. Matter of fact, let's just go through it. In Genesis, he's our creator. 
In Exodus, he's our Passover lamb. In Leviticus, he's our high priest. In Numbers, he's our cloud by day and a fire by night. In Deuteronomy, he's our promise-keeping and promise-making God. In Joshua, he's the captain of our salvation. In Judges, he's the great lawgiver. In Ruth, he's our kinsman redeemer. In First and Second Samuel, he's the prophet. In Kings and Chronicles, he's the king that reigns. In Ezra, he's our worship. In Nehemiah, he's our wall builder. In Esther, he's Mordecai. In Job, he's our healer. In Psalms, Jesus is the good, good shepherd. In Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, he is the wisdom that we need. In the Song of Solomon, he is the initiator and the founder of marital love. In Isaiah, he is the prince of peace. In Jeremiah, he is the potter, we are the clay. In Lamentations, he is the weeping prophet. In Ezekiel, he's the wheel inside the wheel. In Daniel, he's the fourth man in the fiery furnace. In Hosea, he is the faithful husband. In Joel, he's the one who pours out his spirit on all people. In Amos, he is the burden bearer. In Obadiah, he is mighty to save. In Jonah, he's the foreign missionary. In Micah, he's the hope of our restoration. In Nahum, he is the avenger of God's elect. In Habakkuk, he's the God's evangelist. In Zephaniah, he's our savior. In Haggai, he's our restorer. And in Zechariah, he's our fountain. In Malachi, he's the blessing that God is waiting to pour out. I'm talking about the Alpha, the Omega, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the beginning and the end, the Lion of the tribe of Judah. Jesus, 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 worship him. story starts with a curse you get all the way to Malachi and there's still the curse and the and the question is is there any hope look at this verse Galatians chapter 4 and verse number 4 it says this it says when the fullness of time had come what does that mean right on time right on plan right on time God sent forth his son born of a woman born under the law to redeem those who are under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. What does that mean? Jesus came right on time so that you could be saved and forgiven. While you were born under the curse, under sin, you're born with a sin nature, you're a sinner. He was born of a virgin, born of a woman, lived a sinless, perfect life, never sinned, went to the cross so he could be that perfect sacrifice. Just like that sacrifice in the book of Genesis, when God had to kill that animal to clothe Adam and Eve, Christ had to go to the cross so he could cover you in righteousness so you could be forgiven of your sins. Have you trusted him? Have you turned from your sin and trusted Christ? 
Let's pray one more time. Every head bowed, every eye closed, no looking around. Do business with God. Pray for those around you. Right now, you know that you need Jesus Christ. That it's the fullness of time right now for you. You need Jesus. And I just want to pray with you. I'm not going to call you out. I'm not going to drag you forward. Every head's bowed. Every eye's closed. Between me and you and the Lord, I just want to pray with you. Do you need to pray to receive Christ and be forgiven of your sin right now? Slip your hand up. Slip your hand up right where you're at. God bless you. I see you. I see you in the back. I see you. The sides. Middle back. The side. Anyone else? Listen, why don't you pray a prayer like this? It's not these words. It's you surrendering to Christ and humbling yourself. Maybe you can just pray this prayer and just say, Father God, I'm a sinner. Just tell him, Lord, I'm a sinner and I sin. But Father, I turn from my sin and I turn to Jesus. Save me, Jesus. Tell him. Say, Lord, I want to put my faith in your death, burial, and resurrection for my salvation. All of me, I surrender to all of Christ. Save me, Jesus. Listen, you humble yourself before God and you trust him to save you. He just saved you. You're no longer alone. You're no longer under the curse. You've been forgiven and redeemed. He's given you the Holy Spirit. You've got resurrection power in your life. I want to encourage you to make that decision public. In just a moment. Maybe you need to come and follow Molly's, Molly's example and be baptized, right? Maybe you've prayed that prayer at another service at another time, but you know that your baptism isn't on the right side of your salvation. Maybe you got baptized before you really got saved, and you know you need to get that right. Baptism is for saved people. Or maybe God is speaking to your heart. You know that Grace Baptist Church is your church home, and you need to come this morning and make this your home. Serve here at Grace. Put on the jersey. Be part of the team. Grow right here at Grace. It's time. It's the fullness of time for that as well. But whatever God is calling you to do this morning, do it. Do it. He is worthy, and he's proven his worth in the very words of his word. Father God, we love you so much. We thank you for this time. Thank you for the Old Testament. Lord, thank you for pointing us to the cross and to Christ. Lord, help us during this time of invitation to do exactly what you're calling us to do. It's in Jesus Christ's name I pray. Amen. Amen. You come. The sun.